All right, Shabbos, say good morning. Let us, oh, what did I just do here? Let us begin. I want to begin by thanking our sponsors, to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors, our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Tevis, Yuval and Sarah Kelman, in honor of the birth of their daughter, Oriya Tahelen, and the Schos, that all of the couples who are davening to be blessed with the bracha of children, should Amir Sashem have their tefillos answered Bekarov, to thank Stephen Tarizin for dedicating all the Sherman's Rushos this month in honor of their grandchildren, Adin Svi and Naftali Moshe, Shirley Elbaum for dedicating all of the Shiurim and Rushos this month in commemoration of the yard site of Jerry Elbaum, Yaakov Kabul Ben Rav Ram Menachem, and our Dafyomi sponsors today, Richard and Sharon Buck in honor of Greg Levitan, Thank you to the box. Good. And also, Elsa Lussman, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren in honor of Dr. Mark Lustman's birthday. Mazel tov, mazel tov, Dr. Lustman. Admea ve'esrim shanim tovos. Sammy already sung to you, otherwise I would have done it. I would have done it, but Baruch Hashem, that'll just become redundant. Mazel tov, mazel tov. Much brachan hatzlacha for many years to come. All right, I will say with that, we have an incredible, exceptional, and wonderful daf ahead of us today. So today's daf is Tesvav 15, and we are picking up Emirat Sashem on the bottom of Yud Dalit Amud Bey's 14b. We left off two, four, six, eight lines up from the bottom. Amram Nachman, Chulda, so we'll remember again, Chulda was one of the Nevios, was one of the prophetesses that we learned about in yesterday's daf. So now the Gemara says, Chulda, Interesting enough, who was Chulda? She was a descendant of Yehoshua. So the Gemara says, Ksiv, Hacha, Ben Charsam, Uksiv, Hasam, Betimnas, Cheres. Okay, so it contrasts Chulda's genealogy with Yehoshua's place of origin. Good. Or not his place of origin, but where he lived. But Saba raised the kashta on this. He said, here is the problem. The Pasik says, Shmona Nevi'im, eight prophets, Vehem Kohanim, who were also Kohanim, Yatsu Meirachav Hazono, were the descendants of Rachav. Descendants of Rachav. Ve'eluhein, these were the, these were the descendants. Neria, Baruch, Siraya, Mechasya, Yirmiya, Chilkia, Chanamel, and Shalom. And Shalom. So these are all the descendants of Rachav. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Huda Omer, Afchulda Hanavia, Chulda was also a descendant of Rachav. So what's going on over here? It's a contradiction. You just said before that Chulda is a descendant of Yoshua. Now you're saying that Chulda is a descendant of Rachav. So what's the story? Says the Gemara. After all, because it says the Gemara, Ksiv Hacha, Ben Tikva, Ksiv Hasan, Bas Tikvas, Chot Hashani. Amr he said to him, Eina Saba. So he responded. So remember again, this is... This is Rav Ina Saba is asking the Kasha to Rav Nachman. So now Rav Nachman responded. How did he respond? Either he responded by calling him Ina Saba, Ina the older man, or Amrle Pasya Uchma, blackened pot. Now, blackened pot is not an insult. Blackened pot is actually a Talmudic compliment, right? Why? What does blackened pot mean? Blackened pot was often the term that was used for someone who lived in dire poverty, yet rose to incredible levels of spiritual accomplishment. So Rav Nachman calls Rav Eina Saba black in pot as a, as a way of showing you have nothing, yet you have become so great. He calls the Pasi Ochma, Mine uminach testayim shmaita. The truth is, if we combine 
our two approaches, then Amir Hashem will find the answer to this. How so? Listen to this. So the Gemara says, Yehoshua. Listen to this. We'll say Rachav. Now remember again, we know Rachav from the beginning of Sefer Yehoshua. Right? Rachav was the woman who showed the spies how to enter the city of Yericho. So the Gemara says, now in that marriage, she and her family were saved. The Gemara suggests that Rachav converted and she married Yehoshua. Rachav converted, she married Yehoshua. So therefore, we both say, therefore, it's not a contradiction that Chulda was a descendant of Yehoshua, and what? She was also a descendant of Rachav. Both say, I'll just point out to you, by the way, you see something so incredibly amazing about these Shiduchim, right, in biblical times, right? You see yesterday's daf, we saw Bitya, right, and Kalev. Now we see Yehoshua and Rachav, absolutely amazing, which, by the way, is such, I just, I'll just mention it just by Derek Agov. You know, the, the whole world of Shiduchim has become so unnecessarily complicated. And what you see is something absolutely amazing. That it used to be that what made a good Shidduch were the Midos of the person. Were the Midos of the person, right? Not necessarily the family they came from. And not necessarily, again, all of the secondary circumstances around them. But who the person was. Because at the end of the day... Isn't that the most important quality to look for in a spouse? The quality of personality, the quality of persona, the nature of one's midos. You can't control who your parents are. You can't control what community you're born into. You can't control what your parents do or don't do for a living. But you can control the kind of person you become. So Kali ben Yifun, a great tzaddik, marries the, the converted daughter of Paro. And ultimately, Yoshua ben Nun marries the convert Rachav. And again, you see the offspring that they have are dramatically amazing. A real musr for us to take to heart contemporarily. So the Gemara says as follows, Umi did Yoshua have children? nun bino, Yoshua bino. The passage seems to indicate that Yoshua did not have kids. To which the Gemara says, Bani lo ban No, no, he didn't have sons. Yoshua didn't have sons, but he had daughters. So top of Tesvav. So says the Gemara, let's analyze this. Bishnah so said, the Gemara made an interesting statement, right? The Gemara said that Rachav, Rachav's children, right? What was the Lashon here? So the Gemara says that from Rachav, eight Nevi'im came and they were also Kohanim. So the Gemara says, Bishlama in whom Mefarshi, so I understand, Hanamel, Baruch, and Siraya, they are all explicitly stated that they were Nevi'im. Ela avasaihu minolan, but how do we know that their fathers, namely Chilkiah, Shalom, Neria, and Bachasya, how do we know that they were Nevi'im? The Amr Ula, is actually very interesting. Ula says, the Amr Ula, Kamakum Shishmo, the Shem Aviv, Benevius, whenever, I'm sorry, Memakum Shishmo, the Shem Aviv, Benevius, Chuyadua Shuhu Navi, Ben Navi. Obviously, again, whenever you have a situation of a son and a father's name, both being stated in the context of prophecy, we know that the Navi is the son of a Navi. Shmo, velo shem aviv. What happens if this, the name of the son is mentioned in the context of Navius, but the father is not? Biadua shehu Navi, velo ben Navi. Then ultimately, again, you know that he is a Navi and not the son of a Navi. 
Shmo, I'm sorry, Shmo v'shemiro. So therefore, I get the Gemara just answered it, by the way. So the Gemara just explained that halacha lemaisa, even though we have no explicit statement of prophecy by Chilkia, Shalom, Neria, Machasya, but because ultimately their sons are known by their names, right? They're, right? Their sons, it's Chanamel, Baruch, and Sarai, known by the names of their fathers, that indicates to us that their fathers were Nevi'im as well. So the Gemara goes on, the Gemara says, Shmo v'shemiro, whenever the Navi highlights the name of the prophet and the name of his city, so the Gemara says, The Navi will tell me the name of that city to tell me that that is the place of origin for this Navi. Listen to this. Shmo v'shemiro, what happens if the Navi gives me the name of the Navi but doesn't give me the name of the place where he came from? So biyadu'a shuhumi Yerushalayim. Isn't that incredible, right? If the Navi doesn't tell me where a Jew is from, there's only one place for a Jew to be from, which is from Yerushalayim, right? If you don't tell me where you're from, I have to assume that you're from Yerushalayim. Incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Masnisa Tana, but say first wide line, the Masnisa Tana, Kol Shemaasav, Umaase Avosav Stumen, but it's actually very interesting. Anytime you find the following situation, Let's say the Navi introduces us to someone, and the truth is, we know nothing about this person in general or about his father. And then the Navi tells us a story. And then the Navi goes ahead and tells me an episode, a positive episode about an individual. Ben Kushi Ben Gedalia. So, for example, right, the Navi says the word of God will came to Tzefania, the son of Kushi, the son of Gedalia. So, Biadua shoot Sadik Ben Sadik. This is actually very interesting. Let's say so. The Gemara's teaching is like this: Whenever the Navi introduces us to someone, and we don't know this person, but the Navi tells me something positive about this person and his father, right, traced back to genealogy, that tells us that it was a family of righteous people. In other words, which is interesting, in other words, if the Navi is only going to tell me one thing about a person, and that thing is positive, that tells me that the identity of this mishpacha is righteous, is righteous. So on, on the flip side, on the flip side, if the Navi introduces me to someone and just tells me something, the one thing the Navi tells me is what? Is negative. So kigon, Ben Nisanya Ben Elishama Biadua Shu Rasha Ben Rasha. Also, by the way, just so you understand the context that's being quoted over here, this is Gedalia Ben Achikam who was assassinated by by Yishmael Ben Nisanya. Right, Som Gedalia, Som Gedalia. So here the Navi is telling me something amazing that here I'm introduced to Sefania Ben Kushi Ben Gedalia. One positive thing tells me the entire family was righteous, and then it also introduces me to Yishmael Ben Nisanya Ben Elishama. The only thing I know about this family is that what? Is that what? Is that Yishmael assassinated Gedalia. So again, when the Navi tells me one thing that's positive about a mishpacha and multiple generations, tells me the family was righteous. Tells me one thing about a multi-generational family and it's negative, tells me the family was wicked. Incredible. Amrav Nachman. So we'll say Malachi, Zem Mordechai. It's very interesting. The Navi Malachi, the Navi Malachi was really Mordechai. So why was he called Malachi? His name was Mordechai. Shahaya Mishnah Lamelach. Because remember again, by the end of the Megillah, Mordechai is elevated to the position of Mishnah Lamelach, the second in command to the king. So Malachi, Malachi is like a play on Melech. Right? He's like the Melachol. You know, he's like the, he's the, he's the second in command to the king. So Mesve, is that really true? 
but I may say, Paruch Beneria, Vinsrai Masia, Vidaniel, Umordechai Bilshon, the Chagai Zechari Umalahi, Kulon Nisnavu Bishnas Shtemeshre Israel Dayavesh. So I will say the Gemara lists a list of prophets over here who all prophesied during the second year of King Dayavesh. And how does it list them? It lists Mordechai and Malachi as separate people. To which the Gemara says, to Yufta, you're right. This is a refutation. This is a refutation. So I will say, wrong, scratch that. Mordechai is not Malachi. Tanyo Amra Bishoben Karcha, Malachi Ze Ezra. Who's Malachi? Malachi is Ezra. Vichachamim Amru Malachi Shmo. Others say no. Malachi is not. You know who Malachi is? You know who Malachi is? Malachi is Malachi. Malachi is Malachi. I will say, Amru Malachi Mistabrakiman, Amru Malachi is Ezra. Dixiv Benevius Malachi, Bogdo Yehuda Vitoeva Nesta Bishabi Yushalayim, Kihila Yehuda Kodesh Hashem, Asherahav Ubaal Bas El Nechar. Shabbosay, listen to this. The Pasuk seems to indicate when talking about Malachi, talking about the fact that the men from Yehuda had married non Jewish women. Had married non Jewish women. And is rebuking them for intermarrying and marrying non-Jewish women. So the Gemara says, Uman naf afresh noshim nachrios, and who was the one who took it upon himself to command the Jewish men to divorce their non-Jewish wives? Ezra. I will say, by the way, this was a big thing. This is tied into the story as to why only a fraction of Jews came up with Ezra from Babel to rebuild the second base Amikdash. Some of it was just that we got comfortable in Babel, we got comfortable in diaspora. But a big part of it was also the fact that there was rampant intermarriage. Rampant intermarriage. And Ezra rebuked them. Ezra gave them Musr. And many of them listened to Ezra. Many of them, as a result of that, divorced their Gentile wives and came back with Ezra to Eretz Yisrael to once again begin a Jewish life. So, I was like, so interestingly enough, the Gemara says, Uman Afresh Nashem, Menachrios, Ezra. Okay, so we'll say, so this seems to indicate, this seems to be a proof that ultimately, again, Malachi is really Ezra. Good. So, so I'll just point out to you something very interesting. It is, it is very, very amazing to see. You see this opinion that says, oh, we're trying to figure out who Malachi is. Is it Mordechai? Is it Ezra? And then in the middle of this, you have this idea that says, who's Malachi? Who's Malachi? It's Malachi. You know, so often, so often, when looking at our own personalities, we try to figure out who we should model ourselves after, right? Which is normal. In life, you're supposed to have role models. And having role models is a very positive thing. But at the end of the day, a role model is there for me to take example. I'd like to have that need. I'd like to have this need. I'd like to have this character trait, this character trait. But at the end of the day, the goal is never to become like someone else. The goal is to always be yourself. And to be the best version of yourself. Same thing with raising children. Too often parents fall into the trap of trying to model one child after another. And the truth is, it's, it's, it can have catastrophic consequences for children. Each child, each child is a world unto himself. And each child has to be, not, not, not Malachi, that's Mordechai, not Malachi, that's Ezra. Malachi, that's Malachi. Right? I have to be me. I have to be, I have to become the best version of me. And often the way I do that is by modeling myself after other people. But at the end of the day, says the Gemara, Malachi is Malachi. 
I have to be me, you have to be you. We draw on role models to try to inspire us to become better, but we have to be true to HaKadosh Baruch who created us as. Incredible Gemara. So turn to Abanan. Arbanashim Yififiyos Haiba'olam. Both said there were four beautiful women in the world. So it's actually interesting. This is kind of picking up on the Shivan We where we spoke about seven prophetesses. Now the Gemara speaks about the four most beautiful women in the world. Who were they? Sarah, Avigail, Rachav and Esther. So remember again, Sarah and Avigail, we just spoke about before because they were also included in the list of prophetic women. Rachav, we just spoke about before. She converted and married Yoshua. She was, there was it's an achlokis in the Gemara about, well, we're actually already in Mepharshim in the Nevi'im. The culture Rachav has zona, right? So the Shaila is being machlokis in Mepharshim does Zona mean that she, literally again she was a harlot? This is what she was like. That she and, and which which is an incredible thing that she became a balas tshuva and that she converted and Yoshua married her. The other possibility of Zona is that Zona was also the term used for an innkeeper, not from lashon of znos, not from lashon of znos, but from lashon of mazon. The Malbim says that sometimes it was one and the same, right? Sometimes again the inns also became a place. You know, of uh, of of inappropriate or um, what's the right word? Um, um, immoral behavior. Immoral behavior. Okay. In any in any event, the point over here is she's included in this list. And Esther, and Esther. So the Gemara says, "Laman Damer Esther Yirok Rakas Haisa." But remember again, we saw this in the Gemara that one of the reasons we called Esther Hadassah is because she had a greenish complexion. Now it's a machlokes. Is the greenish complexion a, a compliment? Right, the compliment or or actually a detraction. So according to the opinion that says that she was greenish and therefore not as beautiful, Mapik Esther Umayel Vashti. They take Esther out of out of out of the four and instead they put in Vashti. Which is pretty incredible. Tanrabanan. Rachov, because we actually saw this Kimara, Bishma Zinsa. Rachov ultimately again, even with her name. Rashi says over here, Bishma Zinsa, Maskir Eshma, Nigra Achartabasos. Just sing the name Rachov. Just saying the name Rachav could arouse a person. So the Gemara says, Ya'el. So Ya'el, remember again, this is Ya'el Hakemi. This is in the story of Devorah and Barak, right? Ya'el is the one who killed Sisra. So Ya'el Bekola. So Ya'el, her voice, right? Just hearing her voice ultimately could bring one to arousal. Avigail Bishirasa. Avigail just mentioning her name. I just mentioning it. Thinking about her. Thinking about Avigail could create arousal. Michal Bas Shaul. So I'll say it's interesting now. Now what we're talking about is whereas there might be four of the most beautiful women, there are many other beautiful women as well. And these women had an impact. So Michal Bas Shaul, Michal, the daughter of Shaul, who was the wife of David Amalek as well. Biri Asa. By seeing her, one would come to arousal. Am Rabbi Yitzchak. Kala Omer Rachav, Rachav, Miyad Nikri. We saw this Kimara. Rabbi Yitzchak says, whoever says the name Rachav, Rachav twice, immediately experiences a seminal emission. I don't know. I say it. Nothing happens. So says the Gemara. No, no. What it means is if you know her. Right? If you know her. Right? In other words, right. Just saying the name Rachav, Rachav twice doesn't do anything. But if a person were to know Rachav, ultimately just saying her name could bring one to that level of arousal. Good. Weiter. Says the Gemara. Mordechai Kalashar Nasa. Now we're going to go back to the Megillah. Mordechai knew everything that had occurred. Now, Bose, now what does this mean? Just the context. Remember, this, this is after, after 
Haman had elevated, I'm sorry, Achashosh had elevated Haman. And now again, remember, Haman had sent out the letters, pretty much what he felt was sealing the fate of the Jewish people. Mordechai heard everything that had occurred. He tore his clothing, right? And he went out into the street and he cried out, my, so, so the Gemara says, my Amar. So I will say, the Pesach says, Mordechai has kosher nasa, vayikra Mordechai is begada, vayilabashtak ve'efer, vayitzi v'sochair, vayizak za'akad gidola. He cried out. So the Gemara assumes, it's interesting, when you read the Pesach, you assume, I will say, that what's a cry? What's a cry? A cry, all right? A cry. The Gemara assumes he said something. So what did he say? My Amar. Amar Rav. So Rav said, my Amar. Rav Amar. Gava Haman me Achashverosh. What he cried out was, Haman has been elevated over Achashverosh. So what Mordechai saw in this was, again, like we saw before, Achashverosh was no lover of the Jews. But it's not like Achashverosh ever took such dramatic action against the Jewish people. So in this decree, he saw that essentially Haman had usurped the power of Achashverosh. Shmuel, Shmuel said, Gavar Malki Ilah Mimalka Tasa. Well, said, it's actually very dramatic. Shmuel said what, what, what Mordechai said was, the upper king has taken control over the lower king. Now Rashi points out this was a euphemism. And what Mordechai was really saying was, it appears that the earthly king has taken control over the upper king. What Mordechai was saying is, Ribbono Shal Olam, where are you? Where are you? Because it appears, it appears that the lower king, Achashverosh, has just usurped your authority by decreeing this horrific decree upon the Jewish people. Profound. Hamalka. So the, the Pasuk says, when Esther heard what happened about the decree, now Vatischachal literally means like a shaking, like a shaking. She began to shake. My Vatischachal, Amarav Shapir Sanida. Ultimately, again, she, she became Anida, right? She began to man, menstruate. Also, what that means is there's a concept in, in Hilchos Nida also that a woman could begin to see Damnida as a result of Pachad, as a result of fear. So Esther was so, was so shaken that ultimately, again, she begins to bleed. She begins to bleed. So the Gemara says, Literally, again, her bowels became weak. Her brother hers, she was sick. She, she literally became sick to her stomach. Vatikra Esther la Hasach. So Esther, Esther called for Hasach. So remember again, the Pasuk over here, the Pasuk over here is, she called Esther, right? She, I'm sorry. Esther called out to Hasach. Here, the Pasuk, Vatikra Esther la Hasach. So she, she, went, she called Hasach and she says to Hasach, Go to Mordechai and find out what is going on. Amarav, Hasach zed Daniel. Hasach is actually Daniel. Valamanik Rashmo Hasach. Why was he called Hasach? Shechatchu Migdulaso. Interestingly enough, because whereas Hasach was a very powerful man in previous kingdoms, when Achashverosh came to power, and probably under the influence of Haman as well, his portfolio was diminished. Portfolio was diminished. Ushmol Arashmol says, Shekol Divrei Malchus Nechtachin Alpiv. Others say Shmuel says, No, no, no. He had the same level of prominence. Right? What it means is, Hasach means all of the words of the kingdom were decided through his mouth. Literally, Nechtachin Alpiv were cut through his words that he had incredible influence. So, in any event, Esther sends him to Mordechai, La Da'as Mazeh the Al Mazeh, to find out what exactly is going on. Amr Bitzchak, Shol 
So this is both says, here's what's interesting. What the Gemara is bothered by is, why does Esther need to send Hasach to Mordechai, who's outside of the palace, to find out what's going on? Esther's in the palace. She knows what's going on. So what, what is she trying to find out? So this is incredible. Esther is trying to find out from Mordechai, why is this happening to the Jewish people? So she asked so she asked Mordechai, I'll say here's question number one. Has Klal Yisrael stopped observing the Torah? Right? Esther is away from her people. So Esther might know what's happening in the palace, but she does not know what's happening within Klal Yisrael. So at the end of the day, she asks Mordechai, right? So Almazet is a play on words. She asks him, Almazet vi Almazet. Have they, have they become lax in their observance of Torah? Because again, when the, when the Asar Sadibros are written on the Luchos, it says, Mizeh u Mizeh. So we saw this back in Tainus, that you could read the Luchos from what? From both sides. From both sides. So have they become lax in their observance of Torah? Vayagidu lemordechai es divrei Esther. So we'll say, so remember again, we're fast forwarding a little bit in the Megillah. Mordechai says to Esther, Mordechai says to Esther, you have to go to the king. And remember again, what does Esther say initially? Initially, she says, essentially, no. It's a nice no, but it's a no. I can't go to the king because you can't go to the king without being summoned. If you go to the king without being summoned, you run the risk of death. So, so interestingly enough, so here's what's interesting. This whole time, Hasach is the go-between. Yet this last time, Esther says they told Mordechai the words of Esther. Where did Hasach go? Where did Hasach go? Hasach didn't come back to Mordechai. From here, what do we see? You don't deliver bad news. This is so interesting. You know, for some reason, I don't know why this is. There must be a psychological reason for this. That sometimes like people really get very excited to deliver bad news. Right? So the Gemara says, don't be the bearer of bad news. Right? So how do you know this? Because this is amazing. Hasach apparently didn't deliver the message back from Esther to Mordechai. Right? The message back from Esther to Mordechai was, can't go, can't go. And Hasach will not deliver it. He sends it with someone else. From here you see, don't be the bearer of bad news. So what is, so remember again, now finally Mordechai prevails upon Esther. You have to go. So what does Esther say? Lech kinos eskala Yehudim. Now both say, I think that this is probably one of the most dramatic parts in the entire Megillah. Now, it's interesting. The policy that the Gemara is talking about is as follows. Esther says to Mordechai, Lech kinos eskala Yehudim asher anuntzam b'shushin abira. Go ahead. Right. Go and gather all of the Jews. Go, go and gather all of the Jews in Shushan. I'm just quoting the Pasuk. Fast for me. Right. Don't eat, don't drink for three days, three nights. I'm also going to fast. And I'm going to go to the king. In an unnatural way. And as I am lost, I will be lost. So I'm going to say, listen to this. So, so what does it mean? Ada shalokidas, Amrabi Abba shalokidas haya. So ultimately, again, Esther says this is now an unnatural way of going to Achashverosh. How so? Shebechol yom vayom ad achshav baones baachshav beratzon. See, Rabbi said, listen to this. Remember, we saw in yesterday's Gemara, a very moving Gemara, that Esther would go to the mikvah and go back to Mordechai, her husband. That was only permitted. Because her relationship with Achashverosh was a non-consensual relationship. When she says, I'll go to Achashverosh, but just understand, when I go to him and I initiate with him, that's the end of our marriage. 
Because now I can no longer say that my relations with Ahasuerus are not consensual because I am the one who is initiating this contact with him. And when that happens, then amazingly enough, that becomes deemed as an act of adultery. Once it becomes deemed as an act of adultery, then ultimately what? Then ultimately, she becomes prohibited to Mordechai forever. And that's why I will say, you know, some have the minog to also read that phrase, kasher, kasher vaditi, vaditi, as echa, why is that? So we often think it's because Esther's risking her life, which is true, right? So there's two avaditis, right? There's two avaditis, as we're going to see here. V'chasher avaditi, avaditi, k'shem she'avaditi mebeisavicha, kach ovinimcha. I will say, it's such a tragic piece of the Megillah. She says, you know, I've already been lost for my people. Right, I've already been lost from my father's family. I'm already lost. Right, I was lost to the Jewish people the day that I was the day that I was taken into the palace. But now, Mordechai, I'm going to be lost to you as well. I'll be lost to you as well because from this point in on, I will be forever prohibited to you. Which means, effectively, by doing this, our marriage is over. Our marriage is over. Which I will say, I'll just point out by the way, Esther Hamalka. We'll, we'll get into this. Is the fascinating discussion of what we call. An Avera Lishma. There is a concept like this of an now don't try this at home, an Avera Lishma, right? But there is a concept like this of an Avera Lishma of doing an Avera Lishem Shamayim. And it is permitted under extreme circumstances, usually Hatzalas Yisrael, usually when it comes to an existential danger. And that's what Esther Malka is doing. It's an Avera Lishma. And I will say, you see over here, by the way, I just want to point out. The ridiculous Mesiras Nefesh, the self-sacrifice of Esther Malka. She gave up everything. I've already lost my people. I've already lost my people. I, somehow I was able to hold on to my marriage. And now I will lose that as well. Esther says, I'll do this. I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do for Klaal Yisrael. But at the end of the day, the sacrifice is everything. And it's interesting, you know, in the Gemara, she doesn't even bring up her own life, right? My own life is my own life. That I'm willing to sacrifice. But I've lost everything else. Such an incredible Gemara. Vayavra Mordechai. So Mordechai ultimately goes ahead. Vayavra Mordechai. So what is in So he caused literally again the first day of Pesach to be passed over. Mordechai converted the first day of Pesach into a tainus, into a fast day. We're going to get into this in Look at Rashi for just a moment. We're going to get into the timeline a little bit more in tomorrow's daf. But what we're going to see is, in fact, they fasted on the first day of Pesach because this is when we're going to see the letters were sent out. Yud Gimel Benisa Nichtivu Hai Garos. So we're going to see they fasted the 14th, 15th, and 16th of Nisan. In Nisan, by Pesach time. So Mordechai, Mordechai did something amazing. You're not allowed to fast on Yom Tiv. He made the first day of Pesach into a fast. Shmuel Shmuel says, No, what he did is he went to the other side of the river in order to gather the rest of the Jewish people because again, this was going to be a public tainess. It was on the third day. Esther put on Malchus. What was this in yesterday's daf? Big day Malchus, me boy. What do you mean she put on Malchus? It should say clothing of Malchus. So Amr Abel Azar, Amr Abi Khanina, Malamit Shalav Shisa Ruach HaKodesh. She donned Ruach HaKodesh. Also remember again, this was the Raya that Esther was in Avia. She put on Ruach HaKodesh. She put on prophecy. Well, this is very beautiful. A blessed 
blessing of a simple person should never be simple in your eyes, right? The bracha, hedyot means a simple person. Never take the blessing of a simple person lightly. Why? Shari shnei gidali adar, barachom shnei hedyotos, v'neskaimu bahen, ve'eloheim, David v'daniel. David debarche aravna, t'chsev ayom aravna el ha-melech, Daniel debarche daryovesh, t'chsev elakach di antplach lei, so also listen to this. David Amalek was blessed by Aravna, right? Aravna Hayavusi. Aravna well, was, was a guy, right? He was actually the owner of the Haravayas, which was a threshing floor. David Amalek bought the threshing floor from Aravna Hayavusi, the future side of the base of Mikdash. And Aravna gave David a bracha. Similarly, again, Daniel was blessed by Daryavesh. And when was he blessed by Daryavesh? Right before he was thrown into the den of lions. And it was the bracha of Daryavesh, the Gemara says, in addition to the schos of Daniel, that ultimately went ahead and led to his salvation. So you see from here, I will say, an incredible Yisrael, you see from here, don't let the bracha, right, the bracha of a simple Jew, have such a good story to share with you about that. Mamish don't have time for it, but you'll remind me, it's a Rebbe Yitzhak Abreditchev story. Mamish, Mamish, incredible Maisa. The power of a bracha of a simple Jew has such incredible import. The converse is also true. The curse of a simple person also carries weight. Shari Avimelech Kilel Es Sarah. Avimelech cursed Sarah. Now it was a little bit of a nuanced curse. He says to her, Hine hu lacha, or hine lach, naim. Now remember again, Sarah, this was one of the episodes where Avram told everyone that Sarah was his sister. Avimelech took her, Avimelech took her, and the whole household was like smitten with some plague. So, Avimelech is like a shtickle resentful. Like, well, why, 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 didn't, why did you tell me she was your sister? So he gives Sarah a veil. He gives Sarah a veil. Now the veil was the shtach. What was the shtach? What was the shtach? The shtach was, you pulled the wool over my eyes, right? You pulled the veil over my eyes. So again, ostensibly he gave it to her because she was such a tzanua. She was so modest, right? Here is your ksuzay na'im. But it was a little bit of a shtach because you pulled the wool over my eyes. And why? So the Gemara Sky Bizarra, and that curse came true in her descendants. Vahi, kizakin yitzchak, vatechahana enav. Wow. So the Gemara, the Gemara attributes yitzchak's blindness to the curse of Avimelech. So I will say how careful you have to be with the bracha of a simple person and with the curse of a simple person. I will say, listen to this beautiful Gemara. From Rebbe Lazar. Rebbe Lazar says, See how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so different than a mortal. How so? The way it works is man. I will say, if a person wants to boil water, what does he have to do? First, you have to put the pot on the stove and then you put the water in the pot. First he puts the water, then he creates the pot. So we'll say, what does this mean? What does this mean? So perhaps the Pshan Gemara is like this. We'll say, if you have a pot and you have a water, you have two different things. The water, the water is the goal, right? What's the goal? The goal is to boil water. So the way it works with man is that often, remember again, we have to create all of the circumstances first to allow for the actualization of the goal. So first I have to put the pot, then I have to put the water, and then I can boil the water. 
the way the riba, and again, that is a linear progression. You can't start with the water without the pot. With HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's sof ma'aseh b'machshava t'chila. See, I say, here's what's interesting. Is in life, right? We have to, I know what the goal is, but I have to kind of create the circumstances to allow for the actualization of the goal. What's the great challenge of life, right? We'll say, let's be honest. This is a good time. It's too, it's too tired to not be honest, right? Right? What's, what's, what we say, if we're honest, what often happens in life, you a lot of times get caught up with the steps to allow for the actualization of the goal. And what ends up happening? I don't end up actualizing the goal, right? We'll say, so many times in life, we get caught up in the process, and so we never really get to the finish line. I spend all of my time creating and making and putting the pot on the flame, and often I forget to go ahead and boil up the water. But yet with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Sof HaKadosh Baruch Hu never loses sight of the goal, and the goal is always the first thing. First, it creates the water. The goal has already actualized. This goes back to yesterday's daf and Shabbos's daf that HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates the refua before the makkah. By the ribono shalolam, the result already exists. It already exists. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the result, he has the water, and then afterwards he creates the pot around the water. That's what it means. The goal is here. The refua is here. The finish line has already been crossed. Now it's just a shot of how to create the circumstances around the goal. Man can't operate that way. Man first has to create the pot, and then after I put the pot, I have to put the water in it, and I have to wait for it to boil. But I will say, but such an incredible yisul, because what happens to us so often in life is I have a moment of clarity. I know what I want to accomplish. I know what I want to do. I need to put the pot, I need to put the water in the pot, I need to turn on the fire, I need to boil the water. I know exactly what I need to accomplish. But then what ends up happening is, I put the pot, the pot's not in the right place, I have to put the fire, the fire is not so hot, and I end up getting caught up in all of the details of the process, and I never end up boiling the water. I never end up accomplishing the things I want to accomplish in life, right? People say, Isn't this, doesn't this happen to us all of the time? That's the reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu in man. Whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to accomplish, he accomplishes, right? Because why? Because he's able to create the accomplishment first. The water comes in first. Man doesn't work there. We'll say that's why our nisayon in life is don't get caught up in the pot. Well, it doesn't sound right, but you understand, right? In other words, don't, don't, right, don't go ahead and lose yourself in the process and lose sight of the goal. Make sure you end up boiling up your water. Be divine in that sense. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is driven by the goal. We have to be driven by the goal as well. Such an incredible... I always say, I just want to point out, this is why, please, like... If you're taking your notebook, or you're not taking the notebook, you have your own notebook, you have to, you have to keep track of these things. You, you have to. It is a chiv midda'oraisa. Yeah, I was just over on Baltosif. But it's a chiv da'oraisa. Like, how, how, how can you not? The, the, these, the, these are the guide marks for proper living. How do you, how do you live a life without Megillah, Daftes, Zavam, and Aleph? Because they're both saying, again, if you don't have this, you get caught up in the processes. They're both saying, life is so short. Isn't it incredible? The year is over, right? Because you have to. It's not just, even though we, 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 we measure our lives by the Jewish calendar, you have, we, we live in this world. So another year is coming to a close. Another year is coming to a close. And what have we done? Have we accomplished the things we want to accomplish? If I don't keep track of these soldos like this, the end of next year is going to be the same thing. Nice. Oh, it's very nice. Very beautiful. It's not nice. It's not nice. 
It's a necessity for proper living. We have to keep track of these. These are the pearls of Chazal. Okay, let's go on. Anyway, you, you got the point. Siddiq Gemara says as follows. If a person goes ahead, and there are still notebooks here if anyone needs, whoever goes ahead and says something in the name of the person who said it brings Gula to the world. Beautiful. Esther told over right in the name of Mordechai about the assassination plot. And ultimately, that sowed the seeds of Geula. This is so beautiful. When a tzaddik dies, he's only lost to his generation. Mashallah Adam Sha'abdullah Margulis, right? This can be compared to a person who loses a jewel. Komakum Shuhu Shihi Margalit Shma. Lo Avda Elalabalabos. Isn't how beautiful this is? If a person loses a precious stone, right? Wherever the precious stone is, it's what? It's still a precious stone. It's just that it's lost to me. What a beautiful, beautiful Gimara. So in other words, the stone never loses its identity. I just don't have it. When a, when a person passes away, when a tzaddik leaves this world, the tzaddik is lost to me. Right? Everybody say, you can apply this to your loved ones as well. My loved one is lost to me, but my loved one is still my loved one. The neshama is still the neshama, which I will say is also an incredible metaphor, metaphor for tshuva, that a lot of times in life, the jewel, me, I get lost. Each of us is a jewel. Each of us is a precious stone. Each of us is a precious neshama. And the neshama gets lost. The beautiful thing is wherever I'm lost, I'm still a beautiful neshama. I might be lost to myself. I might not know where I am. I might not know where I'm going. I might not know what I'm doing. But the good news is wherever I am lost, I am still a precious neshama. So the Gemara goes weiter. Remember again, when Haman sees Mordechai sitting by, right, by the gates of the palace, he says, all of this is worth nothing to me. This is a wild Gemara. Look at Rashi. Last Rashi, before you turn the daf. Rashi says, Says Rashi, there is a story that precedes the Megillah, and the story is one of Haman being a destitute man, Mordechai being a very wealthy individual, and Haman becoming the indentured servant of Mordechai for ten loaves of bread. Haman worked his way out of the servitude, but whenever Haman saw Mordechai, who did he see? He saw his master. He saw his master, which helps us to understand the profound hatred and animosity that Haman felt for Mordechai. Because whenever Haman saw Mordechai, he felt inadequate. He felt that he did not measure up. He saw glimpses of his former destitute kite, right? Of his former poverty, and it brought him back to those days that he did not wish to remember. Amr Beis says the Gemara, Amr Papa, the Karele Avda Demizdamid Betami. They used to call Haman the servant who was bought four loaves of bread. In other words, that's how he was known. This was a high-profile relationship, that Haman was the indentured servant of Mordechai. Obviously, somehow he worked himself out of that debt, right? He worked himself out of that servitude. But isn't it absolutely incredible that every single time Haman saw Mordechai, he said, none of this is worth anything to me because I remember the fact that I was his servant. It's incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. Haman used to keep Italian accounting of all of his wealth. It was engraved on his heart. And I will say, people have different things engraved on their heart. 
Some people have a love of the Ribbonshom engraved on their heart. Some people have their money engraved on their heart. Everybody has something different engraved on their heart. So Haman had his money. And he said, He said again, None of this is worth anything to me. When I go ahead and I see Mordechai, excuse me, I see, yeah, I see Mordechai sitting by the gate of the king. Which tells you something amazing. If you are not happy with who you are, you can have everything and anything in this world. And it means absolutely nothing. Haman has everything. He has wealth. He has power. He has prominence. But yet... There's a feeling of inadequacy that he possesses within, and that inadequacy is triggered every single time he sees Mordechai, and as a result of a feeling of inadequacy, he cannot be happy. If you can't find happiness with yourself, you will not find happiness in life. So the ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to become a crown. On the head of every tzaddik, both say reminiscent, reminiscent of the end of Masechus Tainus. Shenemar bayomahu yashem tzvakos la teres tzvi. My la teres tzvi ulu tifar ulu tzviras tifara la osin tzvionan ulu mitzapin tifarto. Who does Hakadosh Baruch Hu become? And la teres tzvi, a crown, right, a tiara of splendor to those ultimately again who go ahead and carry out his will, and who yearn and to experience the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You might have thought for everyone, we'll say, who gets, I just want to point out over here, here, the Navi is experiencing, by, this Bayomahu is the Navi in Yeshaya. So the Navi, the Yomar's understanding is, 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 is foreshadowing the beauty of Olam Haba, what happens in Olam Haba. So in Olam Haba, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is this crown, is this crown for the righteous, but not for everyone. Not everybody gets to experience HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Who gets to experience the tzaddikim? And what's the definition of a tzaddik? Someone who makes himself like leftovers. Which means what? In other words, someone who's humble. Someone who is humble in this world gets to experience the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the world to come. We'll say, listen to this. Mishpat. And again, furthermore, the Navi says, the the Navi is going through all the people who will get to experience the greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Olam Haba. What does it mean? The Murach Mishpat Rabbah says into this, Zeh Hadan Es Yitzro. This is someone who judges his Yetzer. Now, we'll say, what does it mean to judge your Yetzer? To judge your Yetzer Hara, what does that mean? So Rashi says, Kofeo Lashuv B'Tshuva. It means that you force, you force yourself to do tshuva when you do wrong. Perhaps Laddun as Yetzer, as Yitzra also means something else. See, I've said, you know what life is all about, the secret to success? I don't know what the secret to success is, but I think that a step to success is that every step of the way to always conduct a cost-benefit analysis. See, I've said, everything in life comes with a cost and comes with a benefit. The difference is that a lot of times when I sin, I don't do the cost-benefit analysis. All I see is like, okay, this is nice, this is pleasurable, this is enjoyable. But the truth is, done as Yitzro means, I do it in Torah. Okay, I want to sin. I want to sin. Let me think about this. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to sin? That's what it means to be done. What's a din? What's a, what's a din Torah? A din Torah is the judge sits down, the dying sits down, and Reuven says this, and Shimon says this, and the dying says, okay, Reuven, I hear that point, Shimon, I hear that point, and the dying has to go and listen to both sides. There might be legitimate reasons to sin. There might be compelling reasons to sin, but I have to hear the other side also. There has to be a din Torah to be done as Yitzro, to do the cost-benefit analysis. 
Is it worth it? If it's worth it, go for it. But very often, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I have to be done my yitz. I have to do the din Torah on the Aver. I have to do the cost-benefit analysis. If I do that, that's the kind of person who gets to rejoice with the Shechim and the Olam HaMS. Uliyoshev al-Mishpat, za'adan din emes la'amito. Uliyoshev al-Mishpat refers to a judge who adjudicates a ju- case correctly. Those people also have a portion of the world to come. Uliyoshev al-Mishpat, al-Yitzro. Someone who finds your side the strength I want to say it takes so much strength to overcome the Yitzhahara. We know so many of us struggle with this each and every day. But if we're able to find the strength and able to overcome the Yitzhahara, what's waiting for us in this world and in the next world is so overwhelmingly amazing. What does it mean? Those who engage in the battle of Torah each and every day. Sha'ara. Again, who get up early to come to shul, stay late in the base medrash. Ultimately, all of these individuals have a special portion in the olam ha'ms. Get to wear the crown, experience the crown of the shechina. So listen to this. So the midas hadin says to Akadosh Baruch Hu, right? Ultimately, again, what's the difference between Elo and Elo? In other words, why do you always show favoritism to the Jews? Right? At the end of the day, they sin just like everyone else. Wow. So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? Torah. Klal Yisrael learns Torah. Both said the power of learning Torah, even if I'm a sinner. Right? Even if I'm an Avariya, I'm doing so many terrible things. At the end of the day, if I'm learning Torah, that has the ability to elevate me. Good. So the idea over here is, even though we make mistakes, the Gemara says, it is the Torah that we have that ultimately provides us salvation. Absolutely incredible. But I'll say one more line. So Miss Esther gets to the inner, to the inner courtyard of the king. As soon as she got to the courtyard, the Shechina left her. Right? So Esther is ready to go in. Right? Esther is ready to go into the palace of the king. And she stops. She stops because she feels that the Shechina has left her in the inner chamber. So Amra Keli Keli Lama Azavtani. She said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why have you left me? Shema Atadan Ashoge Kemezid Va'al Ones Kiratzon. Maybe you're treating a shogig like a mazid or a wilf or, or an extenuating circumstance like a willful commission. So I'll say what Esther is saying to Akashverosh, sorry, to is maybe you're upset with me because you think I've committed an Avera. You've seen everything that I've done, everything that I've done has been against my will, and everything that I've done has been an only. Why? Maybe, Oshema, Ashim Shekarasif Kelev. Maybe you're upset at me that I called that Hashverosh a kelev, a dog. Shenemar, Hatzila mecherev nashi miyad kelev dichida. See? Chaza vikar asal arye. Shenemar, hu shi'inini pi arye. She changed her tune and then she said, go ahead and, and she said, hey, save me from the mouth of the lion. So we'll say, we'll stop over here for today. But again, I just want to point out something amazing. I just want to point out something amazing, which is that Esther says, maybe my mistake was that I called that Hashverosh a dog. And I, so we'll say, so, so, I don't know, that seems kind of fitting for Akashverosh. Shall I say, the amazing part is, any person who is given power, 
power and authority comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because it comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there's a concept of not speaking disparagingly about that person. We see this, by the way, by Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately, again, wouldn't dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu in front of Paro. See, Rashi says it's because of the Avodah Zarah. The other Mepharshim bring down because of a sign of respect to Paro as well. So amazingly enough, Esther said, maybe, maybe my mistake was disrespect. And therefore, she changes her tune. We'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up with the tefillah of Esther Malkin and her encounter with Achashverosh tomorrow. Shkayach.